What is up, guys? FedWatch will be kicking off in just a moment, but I want to quickly remind everyone, locking your Bitcoin 2023 tickets. They are on sale now, and ticket prices will be going up on July 1st. And of course, get your copy of the Moon Mag. Uh, we have a newest issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print mag that will be coming out next quarter. Stick around until after this new episode of FedWatch for a dramatic reading from the latest Bitcoin Magazine print issue. And now I turn it over to Ansel and Tone. Hey guys, how you doing? Yep. Um, Ansel, Tone, you nice okay? to see you, man. Hey, good seeing you guys. Man. Tone, uh, let me let me just do a quick intro for the audience here. So everybody, welcome back to FedWatch. This is a macro show for Bitcoiners with a contrarian twist. So Tone fits right in. We are live streaming on Bitcoin Magazine YouTube. So if you're listening to this on the audio version several days later, pop over to the YouTube in the link below so you can join us there and see our pretty faces. This is our new standard time. We get the privilege to live stream with Bitcoin Magazine every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. So mark your calendars, show Bitcoin Magazine that you like this content and uh, come watch us each week. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce the guest, Tone Vase. We've crossed paths for many years, starting back on World Crypto Network probably six or seven years ago. But uh, we are now back on the same show for the first time in many, many years. Tone, how are you doing, my man? Uh, doing good. Uh, thanks for, uh, you know, getting me on uh, the Bitcoin Magazine stream. It's uh, absolutely awesome. I think I've only been on here one other time. Uh, so it's great. I uh, love the topic. I, I saw the, what we're going to discuss and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So uh, for those that don't know you, Tone, which is probably very few of our uh, audience here, can you give us a quick background on your content on YouTube? And then we can talk a few minutes about your financial summit. All right, cool. Uh, we have an hour in total, right? Uh, yeah, 45 minutes to an hour. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, my name is Tone. Uh, it was funny listening to Greg uh, talking about the Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers. And uh, if you bought insurance from one on the other, I worked at one of those companies. It was Bear Stearns. And uh, I remember one of the last like few weeks, uh, we hired this huge executive from Lehman, like in the last couple of weeks, right before uh, Bear Stearns imploded. I mean, that, that contagion was insane. Uh, so I do come from a traditional Wall Street environment, and I was there also ironically building risk models, which didn't work out very well for Bear Stearns, uh, but our services was, were much needed, which is why we were one of the few units uh, of Bear Stearns that did not really fear that much that our jobs are in that serious of a jeopardy. Uh, JP Morgan picked up our unit after that. Uh, I stuck around Wall Street until uh, 2015. I was already on the World Crypto Network. I was already kind of interested in Bitcoin, started writing articles, started traveling to events and speaking. I quit my job to be a traditional trader. Uh, oh, wait, before I go there, well, Greg was also talking about if you were early on a trade, I got to back up my life a little bit. Before I got that job in Bear Stearns in like late 2006, early 2007, I was already a trader because I learned to trade on my own. I started trading. And I was too early to shorting the real estate trade. So instead of being a good risk manager, which I learned to be later on, I kept shorting the real estate market until I ran out of money. And then I had to go get a Wall Street job. That job happened to be at Bear Stearns, which within one and a half years completely imploded due to the real estate crash, which was the big trade that kind of blew up my portfolio that I was early on. So yes, risk management is probably the most important part to being a trader. 
Uh, I quit to be a trader once again. Uh, but the reason why is because I didn't want to work for anyone else. I wanted uh, a nice life of being my own boss, uh, traveling the world, trading. And I ended up getting most of that right. I ended up traveling the world, but not necessarily trading. I ended up traveling the world, speaking and promoting Bitcoin, uh, which was very enjoyable, was a lot of fun. Uh, so instead of actually trading, I started people uh, teaching people how to trade. I was doing workshops, webinars, and then eventually started organizing uh, conferences. Uh, COVID kind of threw a big wrench in my lifestyle. Uh, but now we're back. Looks like the world's opening up just as we go into a ridiculous global recession uh, as a combination of the COVID lockdowns and geopolitics uh, of what's going on in Eastern Europe. Uh, so that's pretty much my background. You can catch my YouTube channel where I continue to do daily analysis on the price of Bitcoin. Uh, everything is under my name, Tone Vase, on uh, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, uh, website, uh, LinkedIn, everything. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we met one time in person. I don't know if you remember this. This was uh, down in Anarchapoco, probably 2015, oh, wow. 16, something like that. And uh, I was just a face in the crowd at that time. But um, yeah, we've run across paths a couple times. And now what about your financial summit? I know you're doing big things. Um, so tell us what, what's coming up for you. Yeah, so I organized a couple of events. They all have their own uh, niche to them. They're all a little bit different. Uh, I have uh, an unconfiscatable event, which is more general Bitcoin stuff, understanding Bitcoin, uh, which is more teaching people how to use Bitcoin. I don't know if those events are coming back. These events are so hard to organize, like a clap for Bitcoin Magazine for doing what they're doing. Uh, but me and a couple of volunteers are no match for the grueling insanity that's needed to organize an event. So I wanted to have a small event. Uh, the financial summit, how did it happen? Uh, it, me and a couple of other friends of mine, traders, we kind of just got together at this uh, cool penthouse suite in Thailand uh, just to talk trading, relax uh, in a beautiful spot. And from there, it's like, hey, why don't we just have more traders come and investors and just chat? And that turned into the financial summit. It's only for about 50 people. It is designed for the high net worth individual. And we try to connect uh, young traders that have to be profitable. Otherwise, how are you going to attend like a nine, $10,000 event uh, and maybe connect with some hedge funds, some programmers? Uh, some people that can help scale your trading ideas. Uh, and that kind of crowd brings in some high net worth individuals that want to get a better job of uh, trading themselves. Or maybe they can find a young trader that can manage their family office. I try to tell exchanges, hey, you know, some of your big traders, big volume traders are there. If they're not big volume traders on your exchange, you may want to find out why. Also, like Bitcoin miners, we love having them there. Uh, they can always, uh, you know, meet a couple of traders, a couple of funds that could help them hedge uh, their mined Bitcoins. Uh, they could also find potential investors in their mining operation. So it's good for everyone that's interested in talking about finance, trading, investing, and meeting other high net worth individuals. And we try to find the most perfect, beautiful locations. This castle is, has been fully rented out in the Dominican Republic, and that's where it's taking place. Oh man, I'm so jealous. Uh, you have a, a great lifestyle. It's it is the Bitcoin lifestyle. So you are definitely a Bitcoin OG, living the life. Um, at the summit, is it organized? Like, do you have uh, speakers, and do you have certain 
like a, a time a itinerary or, or whatever that goes that's involved here? Uh, we do, but it is pretty dynamic. So the way uh, so it relies on people and attendees uh, because of the high price ticket of uh, like nine thousand dollars base ticket. And out of that nine, about seven thousand is spent on the person. We can't like solicit and invite people for free. Everyone wants to be a speaker and come for free. Well, then like I, I can't subsidize all of that. Uh, so we select our presenters from the attendees themselves. Uh, it's one of those events where every single person that attends is actually qualified to speak. Uh, it's very rare that someone comes only to learn. Everyone that comes there has been successful in business, in investing in one way or another, whether it's real estate, something. And the question is, are they willing to share uh, and how much are they willing to share? And not everyone is good at speaking in front of the public. Uh, so we try to pick the best people to present on the topics that interest people. So there's a questionnaire, you know, uh, what is your expertise in finance? How did you become successful? Uh, what are you willing to share? And based on the questionnaire that everyone fills out, we then uh, we ask people, well, do you want to present? Some people say no, some people say yes. And then we pick what's best for everyone. But most of the discussions are these round table discussions. So presenting and speaking at the event does not give you any kind of advantage on uh, at the event. I mean, it's five days. Everyone has plenty of time to talk to everyone. Some of the most memorable people from this event never even stood up in front of an audience with a microphone. Yeah, sounds awesome. Um, so let's dive right into Bitcoin and macro, the topics of the day. What uh, is your general reading on the, the Bitcoin market right now? I want to start with Bitcoin. So are we in this liquidation cycle? Are we in a four-year bear market cycle still? Has anything changed? Is it different this time? Yeah, well, it's definitely, well, so many things are different this time. To me, this has been the most frustrating bear market in Bitcoin's history. I was around for the prior two bear markets. Uh, you were as well. I'm not sure if you were around for the 2011 bear market. Uh, that's where Bitcoin went to $32 and then fell to $2. That was the shortest one uh, based on time. That was also the biggest rise. Uh, 2013, huge rise. Uh, it hit that classic bubble chart. It was You were mentally prepared for what's to come. 2017, again, the ICOs, we knew they were insane. If you followed us on the World Crypto Network, you were on that a couple of times. Man, how, imagine the kind of money we could have made had we been pumping these, uh, these old coins back in the day. But uh, we were ethical about the whole situation. The 2017 uh, bull market, again, this unreasonable exponential rise. So you were mentally prepared. Hey, you know what? This could have been a bubble. And while it hurt going from 17 down to three, uh, it only took a year. And you knew that the bottom was there. You know, I mistimed it a little bit. I thought it could have still gone down a little bit more. But you were mentally prepared. I was mentally preparing people at 15,000 that we can easily go down to 5,000, 3,000, probably even lower. You were mentally prepared. I wasn't mentally prepared for this one because when the top came in 2021, in April 2021, we had an incredible amount of good news. Uh, Michael Saylor keeps buying Bitcoin for MicroStrategy. Elon Musk is buying Bitcoin. You know, uh, Jack Dorsey is like quitting Twitter 
uh, going all in with Bitcoin and uh, Square, changing its name to Block. Uh, El Salvador news. Then El Salvador actually buying Bitcoin. It was supposed to be like the boom. And then it's understandable that in, in April 2021, you know, sell the news event. You know, we went up a lot. We moved from 10,000 to 60,000 fairly quickly. You go back another six months. You had the big COVID crash. So we technically went from 4,000 all the way to 60,000. That's big. 50% uh, correction, no big deal. Everyone mentally was fine with it. No problem. Bitcoin fell from 60 to 30. You know, I was doing another financial summit uh, in Dubai. People didn't have a problem buying a ticket, uh, you know, at $9,000 after it fell to 30. But then this is where uh, it's all about uh, your mental state. When we went back and broke that top, of April 2021, when we came back there, when we went back uh, to that all-time high in November, that was the breakout. Everyone thought we we're going higher. I thought we were going higher. I lost all my bets on dinners and steaks with my friends uh, about you know Bitcoin's going to 100k. Everyone was expecting 100k, myself included, and that did not materialize. And that fake out in November was mentally brutal because now it has taken us like six, nine months. We broke the $30,000 low. We crashed all the way to 20. And over the last three to six months, people have been very, very concerned. Uh, this prolonged move before the big drop to 20, uh, this has made people tighten their belts. People are stingier right now with their wealth on Bitcoin than they were in any point in the prior bear markets. Even the people that were there for that, people are way wealthier now at 20,000 than versus 5,000. But mentally, they feel like they were cheated. Uh, they feel like Bitcoin should not be at these lows with everything that's happening in the world. Bitcoin was built to thrive in this world right now where uh, there's huge political uncertainty uh, you know, the governments are now preventing countries from using the financial system, preventing forget individual people. The truckers rally proved how important Bitcoin is, and yet the price is not rallying. And this has been so demoralizing over the last couple of months. Uh, and this is where people are starting to throw in the towel. Everyone is now saying lower, lower, lower. And this is where I have to believe that the majority will always be wrong. And I always looked for this specific target of 20,000. And while I did kind of make this mistake a little bit uh, back in late 2018, when we were sitting right at that purple moving average in 2018 at 3,000, I felt like there wasn't enough pain. People were not as mentally depressed at that $3,000 level in late 2018 like they are right now. I think right now, People are pretty mentally shattered, more so than they were at the end of 2018. Uh, so I do think there is a high probability that this is the low uh, right around here this month, maybe next month. And we're going to turn around. Let's see what happens. I totally agree with you. This is the most bearish that I've, I can remember Bitcoin in the eight years that I've been following it. And it's, it's very depressed out there. I even, even though I do this 
for a part-time living. It's like, I hate looking at the chart right now. So it is very, very bearish out there. But what about the four-year cycle? Because, you know, we, I mean, we could get in the four-year cycle. We could get into the stock to flow if you want to. What, what are you looking at for models? Uh, are, are all the old models thrown out the door and we need to start with something new? Or can we learn from those things that we uh, have from the past? In my experience, all models eventually fail. The, the, there really is no model. I love stock to flow. I first uh, read about it in Seyfedin's book. I believe that's where Plan B uh, also read about it in Seyfedin's book. And then he went and took that concept and turned it into a financial model. And that's where I always questioned, like, ah, that's not how it really works. Um I, I love the concept of stock to flow, but I, I just don't like the idea of using the stock to flow concept to try and actually predict the price of Bitcoin. As a technical analyst, and I like my charts, it's all probabilistic. It's no different than playing poker. You may have the best starting hand, uh, but it doesn't mean you're going to win. Uh, there are some cases where you have a statistical probability of 100% winning, but most of the time you rely on the probability of what are your chances of winning that particular hand based on what you're holding and what is likely to come out next. Uh, that to me is how technical analysis works. I look at chart patterns. Uh, it, has, uh, it retains all of the global knowledge into what traders think, what speculators think, what investors think, and what is the next higher probability outcome. And this probability always changes, just like in a card game. With every card that comes out, uh, it changes. Uh, the probability that you're going to win or lose the hand changes with every card that comes out. Same thing with price of an asset. With every hour that goes by, there's more data. There's more speculation. There's more trading action. So your probability of how good your trade is changes with every single price movement. Said that, uh, what, what happens now is the big question, right? And uh, I still think that we do have a high probability of success. I'm sorry, can you just, uh, what was that specific question? Because I got off on a tangent there. Oh, I was just asking about the different models, like the four-year oh, four yes. cycle, stock to flow. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the four-year cycle is a direct result of the halving. The halving is every four years. So we have this halving hype cycle. It really is a hype cycle. Yes, there is a technological component to it where Bitcoin production gets cut in half, but that is known. That is known way in advance. The real four-year cycle is the hype cycle of the halving. Now, I remember having this debate probably five, six years ago saying, you know, from an economic perspective, it probably would have been better if Satoshi would have smoothed this thing out. Like instead of uh, every uh, having every four years, maybe every year, maybe every month. Now, uh, from a technological perspective, that probably would have been a little bit harder probably would have put in a few more a few more technological risks in doing it that way versus a one-time shot. Uh, but then uh, I was convinced by Peter Todd, I'm sure you know who that is. The, his view was, no, no, that part doesn't matter all that much. It's, sorry, I'm sorry, Jimmy Song. Peter Todd was the one that was convincing me that it's better to smooth it out. And then Jimmy Song was the one that convinced me that, you know, it's the hype, it's the mental aspect. Uh, of the situation where the mental hype of the having puts Bitcoin in the news cycle more so 
So there will be a speculative bubble like there always is to rise in preparation for an upcoming halving. So there is still a four-year cycle, but you can't assume which part of that four-year cycle is the bear market, is the bull market. Uh, does it have to bottom at a certain time? No, we could be hitting a peak just as we uh, are going into the halving. And we could also hitting the very bottom just as we're going into the halving. But Bitcoin does go through a bull and bear cycle within four years. And a lot of it has to do with the hype and speculation over a halving. So you're, you're big on time frames and time-based indicators, right, with your MRI stuff. And is that, I mean, how does the timing work in to the bull and bear for your cycles if you know does the does the market need a full year to recover psychologically from a bear market you know what what's your take on on that so the question is when did the bear market end when did the bull market end so right now if we look at 2021 did the bull market end in april or did it end in november to me it ended in april uh, and, uh, uh, but that's debatable. Someone else can make an argument that it ended in November. That's a big difference right there, right? That's pretty much a six, nine month difference. We can go back a cycle. When did the last bear market end? Did it end at 3000 at the end of November or did it end with COVID when we fell all the way to 4,000? Because guess what? If you got in, you know, a month after uh, if you got in at say 6,000 April of 20 of 2019, when you were confident the bull market's back and you started, you know, buying with some leverage, you could have gotten liquidated in early 2020 as part of the bull cycle. How do you get liquidated as part of the bull cycle, right? Uh, and you didn't have, need much leverage. You could have just gotten 2x leverage, which is pretty much nothing. So to me, uh, because I was not on the ball. I was always skeptical of that big run-up in 2019. Uh, in hindsight, we know that was the plus token Ponzi scam. Uh, so when that entire big run-up was happening in 2019, I was very, very cautious to my entire audience. You know, I'm not buying into this. There's something wrong with this run-up. Uh, and I stayed cautious all the way through. I mean, we can also say Tone got lucky, COVID bailed them out. But I stayed cautious all the way through. But after the disastrous March 2020, I wasn't cautious. I was a huge bull all the way up. So I can make an argument that the bear market actually ended in 2020. Okay. And the bull market ended in early 2021. So we can make an argument that this entire bull market lasted, lasted just one year, barely one year. So it's so hard to identify these bull and bear lengths of time. Uh, but within a four-year cycle, you're going to get at least one of each. And that has historically happened in Bitcoin all throughout Bitcoin's history. And it is such a speculative asset that drives its price that I expect it to happen again. Uh, so I think time is very important and very critical. To me, it's always time and price. Uh, going back to the end of 2018, uh, the reason why I was a little skeptical that 3000 was the low was not because of price. Price-wise, it was 
it, it completed more than enough pain based on price. But time-wise, I felt that we did not spend enough time uh, causing people mental damage on uh, through a bear market. This time around, I think we've had enough time pain, uh, just enough time pain uh, because of these ups and downs. So time-wise, I think this bear market is coming to an end. Price-wise, you know, we still have a little bit of room to that downside, at least at a prior swing high of 19,000, maybe even a little bit lower just to liquidate some companies. Uh, a lot of, you know, malinvested companies are still doing unreasonably well. A lot of old coins are still doing unreasonably well. And if I had to play my own devil's advocate and say, Tone, what's the biggest catalyst that's going to drive Bitcoin to $10,000 or lower? And my answer is the altcoins have still are still, you know, 99% overvalued. Yeah, I saw Celsius was going to get liquidated some of their Bitcoin positions at like 19,000. So that would be a, a nice spot to hit and then to bottom at that moment. All right, let's move on to uh, CPI then. I mean, like you said earlier, Bitcoin was built for this. Bitcoin is sound money and it should be benefiting off of these high CPI numbers. What is your take on why Bitcoin isn't performing uh, according to you know the Austrian school um, predictions? You know, as much as we love the Austrian school of economics and in the crypto space, man, the moment you even think about thinking of being critical, of the Austrian school of economics and hard money, like the like, like the cyber hornets are almost worse than if you like say something good about Ethereum or something like that. So look, I of course prefer sound money and the Austrian school of economics, but a lot of their views are so outdated, uh, and they don't take technology into account. Uh, we're, we can't go back to the gold standard. Technology of today will not allow it. And it is actually debatable whether Bitcoin having 21 million Bitcoin finite supply forever is actually good or not. It is debatable. Now, I'm not saying infinite inflation is good, uh, but there are going to be problems that come with this. And just like there are problems with uh, infinite inflation and the government tries to mitigate the problems that come with infinite money printing. And I don't want to be in a world in the future where, you know, some government entity is trying to mitigate the problems that come with having a completely finite supply of money, because that also does come with its own problems, which we're not going to get into on this podcast. But the biggest reason why this idea that high inflation is going to somehow be great for Bitcoin uh, it is in countries like Turkey, where their currency is grossly devaluing against the U.S. dollar. But for the U.S. dollar, uh, oh, it may also be for people in Europe, where the European common currency, the euro, is grossly devaluing against the dollar. Uh, not so much against, uh, not, not as much as Turkey, uh, but significantly against the dollar. Plus the actual overall inflation in the world where the price of everything is going up. In the U.S., the dollar is actually strengthening, but the price of stuff in your stores is rising. So the U.S. does have price inflation on goods, but their currency is actually deflating as it gets more and more valuable uh, versus other countries' currencies. 
So Bitcoin helps those countries way more. In the case of Euro, if the Euro breaks up into its old components, people are going to wish they held Bitcoin. So on a global macro level, yes, your currency deflating, uh, sorry, inflating, and prices of stuff going up uh, should drive the price of Bitcoin higher. But again, 90% of the reason why Bitcoin is worth what it's worth is speculation into future into the future price of Bitcoin, not the current price of Bitcoin. The fact that inflation is go is eight uh, percent annualized or eight point six percent annualized uh, doesn't affect Bitcoin from a month to month basis. Eight point six percent annualized is less than one percent uh, per year of price inflation on goods, assuming the government numbers are accurate, which we know they're a little bit depressed, right? Like, what, why does it matter? Like, Bitcoin doesn't care about a 1% monthly devaluation of the dollar. Okay, I'll give it to you. That should lead to a 1% rise in Bitcoin's price. No, Bitcoin moves multiple percents every single day in both directions. So uh, it's, it's a great idea on a macro level of 10 plus years. But Bitcoin doesn't, you know, care about inflation uh that much it's a speculative instrument onto bitcoin's properties like unconfiscatability like censorship resistant value transfer like the fact that bitcoin is finite which is important for bitcoin because as people find the properties of bitcoin useful and valuable the price of bitcoin has to go up by default because of its property that there will not be more than 21 million bitcoin Inflation doesn't really have that much of an effect. Gold is the same way. Yeah, uh, your gold coin bought you a nice suit 100 years ago, and it buys you a nice suit today. Uh, but had you invested that gold coin in the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones 100 years ago, that can probably buy you every suit factory in your country. So gold doesn't adjust for advancement of technology. Now, Bitcoin had a huge leap in advancement of technology. And as future technology gets built on top of Bitcoin, the way the Internet was that base layer for most future technology being built on top of Bitcoin or on top of Internet or utilizing the Internet, Bitcoin will benefit from infrastructure on top of Bitcoin. But that is a slow moving process. But as far as short term inflation goes, and this is short term inflation. Uh, Bitcoin moves at a much bigger level for way more important reasons than inflation. So I don't really pay attention, uh, attention to inflation on its effects towards Bitcoin price. What do you make of uh, the deflationary argument? Because I've been trying to champion this, that as you know, we are, we're in a credit bubble, uh, credit collapse eventually, and that's a deflationary thing. Um, Bitcoin is free from counterparty risk. So that shouldn't that help Bitcoin in that type of uh, long term view? What, what's your take on the deflation argument? Uh, the deflation for Bitcoin or like uh, like countries and people? Sorry, like like the dollar, because, you know, money is credit today. And right. so if we have a credit collapse, that's a deflationary move. And um, since Bitcoin is counterparty free, it's you know, there there is no way to actually um, have a default on Bitcoin. That is true. So we can look at deflation from, like, say, two different definitions. Uh, when the big 2008 financial crash came, everything fell in price. 
Uh, gold fell in price. Everything fell in price. Why did gold fall in price? Uh, gold doesn't have a much counterparty risk. Uh, it fell in price because people were scared. People lost their jobs. Uh, people had to put food on the table. And I remember reading articles, uh, especially in Europe, places like Italy, uh, those that had gold teeth from you know 60 years earlier had to actually go to the dentist and remove those gold teeth to sell the gold. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, if you have something of value and you have no job and you need to put food on the table, you're going to sell whatever is valuable. So a deflationary environment is, uh, it can be troublesome uh, for all assets. On the flip side, uh, deflationary environment of Bitcoin going up in value and everything becoming cheaper against Bitcoin makes people want to spend their Bitcoin more. Uh, people are way more generous with how much money they spend at Bitcoin peaks than they are at Bitcoin lows. Uh, so uh, I like the deflationary environment of, of Bitcoin because it, it, it inherited this deflationary environment should make Bitcoin rise. And when people are wealthier, they spend their Bitcoin more because they still remain very, very wealthy with the Bitcoin that they still have. But if the world enters this deflationary spiral, which at the moment it's not, it's mostly inflationary, uh, then people do tighten their belts and they don't want to spend much money unless their Bitcoin is going up in value. Uh, I do think that uh, this correlation between Bitcoin and the stock market, uh, which maybe we'll get into hopefully uh, when we talk about the Fed. Uh, yeah, let's do that right now. Let's do that right now. Uh, I, I, I do think that this correlation will eventually end. Uh, all right, go ahead. Uh, uh, let's, uh, I'll, I'll let you ask a question. Yeah, well, I, I didn't have one lined up for this, but um, hey, you know, the, the correlation with stocks, I've always said that Bitcoin is uncorrelated and that's what is uh, very attractive to certain investors because it's uncorrelated to all of their assets. But over the last year, say, last six months especially, it has been heavily correlated with stocks. So, um, you know, I just think that is until it's not what, right? It'll be correlated until it's not. What's your take on the correlation with stocks? Yeah, Bitcoin's correlation with stocks has been insanely scary. Uh, I was doing my stream today. Uh, I was looking at a five-minute chart of Bitcoin and the S&P 500. And they were correlated down to the five-minute level uh, the entire morning of the one hour that I streamed. Uh, from 9.30 in the morning, from the moment market opened till 10.30 in the morning Eastern time, uh, there was on a five-minute level, you can identify the correlation. Uh, and that's, I, I think that's mostly due to a similar mentality, similar traders that are trading these markets, probably a lot of bot trading. But just like on a long-term scale, uh, inflation uh, is inversely proportional with Bitcoin rising. Uh, Bitcoin will, will rise due to inflation on a long-term scale. On a shorter-term scale, uh, Bitcoin is correlated with the market, but it will break that correlation because Bitcoin has properties that I already discussed that no other asset does. Also because eventually another halving is coming and the hype's coming and uh, there's only 21 million Bitcoin. Uh, it's uncorrelated with all the other assets uh, like gold and S&P and bonds and everything in your portfolio. It is an uncorrelated asset on the intermediate scale, it is a hedge against inflation on a super long-term scale. 
Uh, but on a short-term scale, Bitcoin is a private asset, just like Apple stock. Apple stock is a private asset. It's a private company that went public in order for people to take advantage of a private company. Uh, so we say it's a public company, but it's not a public company like government bonds are public assets. So it's still a private asset, uh, just available for investment by the public. So Bitcoin falls in the same category of private assets versus public assets. And I think that the, as the interest rates rise, as the Fed slowly raises this interest rate, there will be less faith in government public assets. Uh, countries will be scared to buy other countries' bonds. People will not be interested in uh, keeping money in uh, banks. Uh, they'll be scared of the government. Uh, they'll be scared of investing in government bonds because of potential government defaults. And they are going to be more trusty of private assets, even the stock market, because some of the latest companies that have the most value to the world, or at least most influence in the world, I should say. I don't know how much value to the world Facebook creates uh, because they don't, they're not exactly free-ish speech. Uh, but some of these biggest companies in the world don't need an office. They are fully virtual companies. And who knows what's going to happen with, uh, I'm not a big fan of the terminology like metaverse and Web3 or Web5. Uh, to me, it's all VR environments. Uh, I do think VR plays a very significant role in the future. So it's very possible that the biggest companies in the future, they're not going to need a jurisdiction. Uh, even a company like Tesla somewhat needs a jurisdiction, but they're also powerful enough to be jurisdiction free. So in the future, uh, people will invest in these jurisdictionless companies because they're afraid of government assets. And right now there's so much money tied up in government public assets that if that bubble starts to implode, where is that money going? It's gotta go somewhere. Bitcoin will benefit, gold will benefit. And I believe the stock market will also benefit because it's a safer place to be. As another example, you know, holding hundreds, uh, holding millions of dollars in your bank account could potentially be scary. But holding millions of dollars in your brokerage account where that money is allocated to stocks is actually a little bit less scary because the government has less ability to confiscate that wealth as opposed to your money just sitting in the bank. So just something to keep in mind uh, when it comes to the future global shifts uh, and uh, Euro Europeans in Western Europe should probably be a lot more scared uh, than those in the U.S. Man, so much to unpack in just that short answer. I loved it. Um, sticking on correlation for a second, and then I want to go back to the stock market. So, um, I mean, altcoins, I know Bitcoin Magazine uh, doesn't want to talk much about altcoins, and I hate it as well, but there is a big correlation with altcoins. And then we have these, obviously, these altcoin seasons and altcoin crashes like we're seeing right now. Um, some people think altcoins might go away eventually someday. What's your take on the correlation with altcoins, the size of the altcoin market, and like the future of the competition between altcoins and Bitcoin? Uh, so there is no competition between altcoins and Bitcoin. It's kind of like saying a company on the internet 
is competition to the internet. Uh, I mean, some people may think that Google is the internet, but it's not. Google is a company on top of the internet and Google can go away. Won't be easy, uh, but it can go away. If Google starts doing massive censorship, I can envision a company in the future uh, to take down uh, Google. It's possible, but I don't envision a company taking down the internet. I, I don't. We're stuck with it uh, for good or bad, uh, the way it was you know, created and the way it, it continues to work. Uh, so to me, all of these altcoins are just companies with CEOs, usually with unregistered securities, uh, whatever. They're not actually competition. So I don't think they're going away. As time goes on, and as regulators are not interested in doing anything about it, um, I do envision a future world, uh, not a very great world, where uh, no company is actually going public with their stock after they've already generated profit and uh, or at least revenue and clients. You build the token first, and maybe by some luck, you build the company later. So that's the world you need to prepare for. So... Altcoins are not going to go away. I think they're with us now forever. But every single altcoin will trend towards zero against Bitcoin. In aggregate, they could be 99% of Bitcoin dominance in aggregate. Because it's possible there will be 4 billion altcoins, right? Every person can have infinite number of tokens. Uh, every company can have multiple tokens. Uh, like these tokens potentially can, will be infinite, but Bitcoin will separate from any of them individually. And while you may be able to guess accurately, just like some people chose pets.com and some people chose Amazon and those that chose Amazon chose wisely. And those that uh, chose pets.com didn't choose wisely. In this case, sure, uh, any of these coins will have a better short-term possibility of a return than Bitcoin. Just like at this point, you're better off investing in a hot new startup on top of the internet than investing in the internet itself because there's only so much more uh, growth that the internet itself can do. Uh, you kind of have to rely on uh, companies on top of it. So in the future, it'll be the same way. Uh, Bitcoin will eventually... Uh, you know, a few more bubbles and uh, it will be hard to make good money by putting your money into Bitcoin. So you may have to start picking and choosing tokens on top of Bitcoin to see which companies are going to succeed or fail. So I don't think the world of altcoins is going away. But at the, uh, right now, I still think Bitcoin has the best risk adjusted return versus any other altcoin. And as long as you understand that all of these other cryptos have a lot more in common with the common day Google and Amazon stock than they do with Bitcoin itself, you are on the right path to understanding how the blockchain works. Love it. You had a series, the, the what was it, the scammies? What was your series? Well, we have the scammy awards at Unconfiscatable and we have, uh, I used to do a podcast called Crypto Scam. And yeah, I yeah. did a few episodes, and if you just watch those episodes of Crypto Scam, I have three on Ethereum, uh, one on Dash, uh, one on Monero, one on Litecoin. Uh, uh, Augur was popular at the time. If you just watch them, you kind of understand every single permutation 
of every single altcoin plus every single NFT. Uh, like, I'm sorry, NFTs have been around for a long time. Uh, going back yeah. to your movie theater tickets when you were a kid, uh, airplane tickets, these are NFTs. Uh, the amount of money it costs for the airline to print you uh, your uh, airplane ticket, which is an NFT. You're the only one that can use it. There's only one. Uh, trust me. Uh, I remember sitting on a plane once and like they're announcing the plane is being delayed. There is someone on this plane that doesn't belong on the plane. And we sat there for like 20 minutes as, the, as they tried to figure out who is on this plane that doesn't belong. It was the craziest thing. Uh, and I think it was in the Middle East too. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, eventually they found this like 80-year-old grandma and they took her off the plane. But like those are NFTs. Uh, the idea that infinite number of these NFTs that could be created uh, and you're and right now you get on a plane, you don't even need a physical ticket. So the cost of printing this ticket is actually zero now because it's in your smartphone. Uh, the, I, like these NFTs are very useful. I love my airplane NFT. I don't want random people on the plane that you know <laughs> don't belong on the plane. But I love that NFT, but I'm not going to put financial value on top of the NFT versus its underlying value. And uh, the underlying value of showing me a picture of my ticket is zero. So all these NFTs, they have value, but not collector value. Like, I'm sorry, my, my movie theater tickets will eventually be a collectible. I kind of wish I had my original Jurassic Park or Terminator 2. So I'm aging myself, right? You frame that thing, you put it on the wall, you wait 20 or 30 years, and you're like telling your grandkids, I want to see Terminator in person. Yeah, no, that may or may not be worth something. Same thing with baseball and basketball cards. But thinking that these NFTs worth real collector premium value in real time. That 70 costs, million. That costs nothing to actually create is insane. Yeah, 70 million, 60 million. Th these NFTs, they were going nuts. And I can't believe how people didn't see that um, just coming because it, it was just out of control. Let's dive back to stocks. And one of the things I've been talking about on the show here is um, the attractiveness of U.S. stock market versus other country stock markets. And will we see a flight to safety in that respect, you know, from the Eurozone to New York, uh, from Japan now? Because Japan looks like they're going in, uh, down the drain right now. Um, are we going to see a flight to capital over to U.S. dollar denominated assets? I do think there is still going to be a flight to capital to the U.S. stocks. And um, as much as we hate the censorship of uh, Western social media companies, uh, as much as we don't like the social direction that a lot of these companies are going into, you know, the Googles, the Twitters, the Facebooks, even the YouTube that we're on, which is why we have to be super careful as to what we say, especially if we do get to the next topics on our agenda. So uh, as much as I wish there was legitimate competition globally, uh, I don't think there is yet. And eventually there will be. Uh, I never, I had no idea what can possibly take down Google, what can possibly, you know, uh, take down some of these uh, uh, tech companies, but it's censorship. Uh, someone is going to step up. I don't know what country, I don't know what nation. I'm hoping it's Latin America. If Latin America moves to Bitcoin, if uh, El Salvador is manages to convince everyone that all of Latin America should be on Bitcoin, 
over the next decade, that would give that entire continent the confidence that they could give the world, you know, some freedom, you know, through financial freedom, give people, you know, other freedoms. And right now, uh, as much as I hate to say it, uh, when you look at Europe, when you look at China, when you look at, you know, Eastern Europe, uh, even Russia, uh, no one is going to invest in Chinese companies. No one is going to invest in Russian companies right now. Not yet. Maybe in the future. We'll see how the, how, how the politics shapes out. Uh, no, India is not really stepping up. I wish they did, but they're not. Africa is still decades behind. Uh, Latin America is still under the American thumb. Uh, like uh, Mexico still has a big stigma over their cartel problem. But like where else do you run to safety? Uh, so I do think that the U.S. stock market is still has elements of safety. I think the U.S. stock market and the companies still have uh, the most transparency while also having the most accountability. When you look through the lens of where else, who else do you trust? And I'm hoping this changes over the next decade. Uh, but for now, I still think uh, the U.S. market is still the best three-legged chihuahua in the horse race. <laughs> well said, well said. Um, time got away from me a little bit there. We only have about 12 minutes left. Let's dive into this uh, fourth turning stuff, this um, kind of, I think it's a competition between the New York banks versus the globalists. Uh, Tom Luongo was on the show, and if you follow some of Tom Luongo's stuff, that's uh, his big thing is talking about Davos versus the Fed. And I, I see some of that stuff going on. Um, but what what is your take on kind of the broad socioeconomic uh, situation in the world right now? Sure. I actually don't think that the New York banks or the control the world. I never bought the concept of the petrodollar. You know, I, I never bought into that stuff. Uh, I will say that I have a very low opinion of Western Europe. It's nice. You go there. It's safe. You can walk around the street. You feel fairly safe. Uh, it has remnants of a collapsing capitalist society as they hand over all power to World Economic Forum, uh, the Davos Conference. I have a very low opinion of the World Economic Forum. Uh, I'm not going to get into detail. Again, I don't want to get the Bitcoin Magazine channel banned. <laughs> I'm also careful on my own channel. Uh, I believe that the World Economic Forum is a too liberal socialist organization. Uh, there's another word I want to use there. You guys all know what that word is. <laughs> and they have too much control over uh, politics. Uh, most of Europe has unelected politicians that have no accountability to their citizens. Uh, they, uh, to quote uh, Klaus Schwab, we have penetrated the cabinet. And they have uh, Australia, New Zealand, Canada. I think that the path of the World Economic Forum is a very, very dangerous path. So any country that follows the World Economic Forum, I short the future of that country. And that puts the entire Western Europe in that sphere, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and many other countries. There are some that are in that realm, like Brazil, that are at the same time trying to fight back, which creates this weird dynamic. Uh, but yeah, so uh, so uh, this is why I am very bearish on Europe. I think the European common currency is going to break up. I think some of those countries are seeing the writing on the wall, like Hungary and Serbia. Uh, now they're not, I don't think they're on the euro, uh, but eventually a country will elect 
uh, a populist like Trump in their country. Um, uh, it wasn't going to be Le Pen in France. It'll be somebody else. Eventually it'll happen. And let's hope it's, uh, you know, someone that does care about their country. It is someone like a Le Pen or God forbid I say it, Trump, and not someone that is actually, you know, like a Hitler or a Mussolini. Yeah, you put your uh, finger on it there. I compare uh, like the rise of Trump and the rise of Le Pen, uh, Brexit, all these things are on the populist side. Uh, even Putin, I would say, is a populist leader over there in Russia. And these globalists that are running the EU, the Davos crowd, they, they want to uh, oppose everything that's populist out there. So um, I don't know. I think to me, the U.S. is even in that respect. So we talked about the stock market and kind of being a jurisdictional safe haven for people and, and capital around the world. It's almost as if uh, the U.S. also on this point, if we reelect Trump or we have like a Ron DeSantis or something like that come in, uh, that this would be a safe haven for for Bitcoin as well and populism and, uh, you know, freedom in general. What's your take on the U.S. actually continuing to carry the mantle of freedom? Uh, man, it's going to be hard because uh, if you saw what happened in the last election and you watch some documentaries, I'll throw one name out there, 2000 Mules. Uh, wasn't a surprise to me anything in that, uh, anything in that documentary, but it's going to be tough. Uh, one last word on populism. I am, I mean, it, every president to be elected should be a populist president, right? It gets the most votes. Uh, populist is not a bad term. The politicians you need to try and avoid are tyrants and liars. And the media did their best to convince the world that Trump is a tyrant and Trump is a liar. In reality, you want to stay away from politicians that are liars and that are tyrants. Uh, so I'm all for populism uh, as long as that populist is uh, not a liar and not a tyrant. Uh, and that's the, that's the best person to elect. Uh, but the, the media tries to go the other way. Now, as far as the U.S. election chances, look, I don't know, but I've already made plenty of arrangements to cut ties with the U.S., and the one thing I'm waiting for is who is winning the next presidential election. I care a little bit. I do care about this election coming up. Uh, I mean, I hope that, you know, one party doesn't have all the power. Uh, I really hope that uh, the liberals, you know, I really hope that people at the polls show what a bad thing the shutdown was and keeping it that long. But we'll see. Uh, but it's all about the next presidential election. I have no idea who's going to run from either side. Uh, but, uh, we'll see. I, I, I have somewhat low expectations that, uh, someone good is going to be allowed to be elected. Uh, Trump caught, uh, the, the lifelong politicians by surprise, and they're not going to let that happen again. Awesome. So yeah, we're coming up. We have five minutes left. Let's do a few quick ones. What are your thoughts on the Bitcoin ETF, uh, coming up? You know, it, Barry Silbert seems to be saying, oh, we're going we're really going to get it because we're going to sue the SEC. What, what do you think of the chances uh, of a Bitcoin ETF? Uh, not very good. Uh, the Bitcoin spot ETF, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't see it anytime soon. 
Uh, lots of questions about it, including, you know, the underlying integrity of Bitcoin. Uh, maybe if these uh, exchanges that wanna that are in charge of the Bitcoin price uh, through their exchanges, uh, maybe if they didn't have this altcoin casino on there, they could be taken more seriously. Uh, I don't think the SEC takes any Bitcoin company seriously. Um, if we ourselves uh, in the crypto space don't take Coinbase seriously, uh, how the hell is uh, the SEC going to take us seriously? Uh, I don't think the traditional world still takes Bitcoin seriously. Uh, I don't think the Bitcoin ETF is coming, uh, spot ETF is coming anytime soon. Uh, and we'll see what happens. I could be wrong there. If it does come, it will be a boost to the price of Bitcoin. So we'll see what happens. I mean, Barry Silver can go ahead and sue the CFTC, but uh, I don't think he'll get anywhere. I think it I think it'll only aggravate the situation. All right. Um, you've been somewhat outspoken. I guess uh, you've talked about it on your show, the Ukraine Russia situation. Uh, I don't want to really concentrate on the specific situation, but um, we only have a few minutes and th this, this answer probably necessitates a whole nother show. But um, what is your take on the outcome of this conflict and the future of Europe uh, for the next maybe 10 years? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to make it short. So uh, it, the outcome doesn't even matter because the U.S., has done one of the stupidest things possible. When they removed Russia from SWIFT, they showed the world that the rails that the US dollar trades on uh, is a political weapon. And that is a serious nail in the eventual destruction of the US as a financial superpower as the dollar is the world reserve currency. The outcome doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They've shown China, which is uh, going to be the world superpower eventually, uh, that uh, they need to get off the dollar sooner or later. Now, uh, other than that, uh, I, I have very, as I said earlier, very low expectations for Europe. Uh, Russia has uh, a lot of control over what happens in Europe because they supply gas and oil. And... Uh, uh, I don't see very good prospects for Europe. If I was in Europe, I would be way more serious about getting into Bitcoin uh, than if I was in the US. Okay, so that's uh, my views for Europe are very, very bleak. Well, without commenting on the Russia Ukraine specific situation, maybe later, but people are going to very, very soon, people are going to realize exactly how this is going to end. Uh, something that I've been saying for quite a while. Absolutely. Well, we'd love to have you back on maybe in six months and then the conflict will be over and we can talk about the repercussions. But anyway, Tone, that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you want to plug your uh, financial summit and where can people find you? Sure. Well, you can find me anywhere on the Internet of Stone Vase, but there are so many imposters and scammers out there that it's scary. I got my check mark on Twitter, so that should help. Uh, Instagram refuses to give me a check mark. I guess I'm not important, uh, which is fine. I'm okay with that. But uh, please don't get scammed by Instagram scammers. My username is Tonebase across the board. Uh, I am hosting a financial event for about 50 high net worth financial professionals. We do focus a little more on trading, uh, but also general investing. I try to connect traders and money managers and funds. Uh, it's a week-long event in a beautiful Caribbean destination of 
uh, Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. Other than that, uh, as far as the price of Bitcoin, which is what I cover every day on my YouTube channel, I do think uh, we have bottomed, uh, at least for now, I have put on some uh, bullish positions. Uh, and I, I do think we can rally from here. Uh, is there a guarantee that we're not going to go lower? Absolutely not. Uh, and I also think that with the Fed announcement tomorrow, unless they do something crazy, like raise the rate by a full percentage point, I think it's going to be 0.5. But even if it's 0.75, I think it will be a good relief to the market. And both stocks and uh, Bitcoin are likely to rise uh, the rest of the week. Uh, again, nothing can be guaranteed when it comes to looking at markets, uh, but that's what I am anticipating. Uh, plan your trades accordingly, plan your investments accordingly, and always uh, manage that risk. And if you're not sure why or how, listen to Greg Foss, who was on the hour <laughs> right before I came on. Okay, risk management is rule one, two, and three. All right. And uh, audience, just want to plug our next show tomorrow. The live stream is the 100th episode of these live streams for Bitcoin Magazine. The great Tom Luongo is going to be back. He is a, a very much an audience favorite. So check out uh, tomorrow's live stream. It is the 100th episode with Tom Luongo. And now Q, Chris, back to you guys. Thank you, Tone. Thank you, Ansel.